Welcome to the Boxing Science Podcast. This is episode 32. And this is a Q&A episode with myself where we're talking about a range of different subjects of strength and conditioning in boxing. In this week's episode, we're going to be covering the benefits of weighted vests, how many times you should be training for hit and strength sessions. We're going to be talking about some off-feet conditioning for some injured athletes. We're going to be talking about what you should be training in the off-season and also talking about the benefits of fitness in amateur boxing. So a range of different subjects coming up. Before we get started, please hit the subscribe button. You don't miss out on any future content and also supporting the growth of the channel. What else would be a massive support is if you press the like button or give us a review and then just comment and let us know what you think of this channel and future subjects or any questions that you want answering or covering on the Boxing Science Podcast. So weighted vests, a fantastic tool to use in the gym, relatively affordable, that can be quite versatile as well. I'd say that to use weighted vests for a range of different reasons. I wouldn't say to use it going out running because you're already having to deal with high amounts of force and load uh, just through your body weight. And the faster that you run, obviously, will increase the amount of load going through your joints, increase the likelihood of being injured or fatigued. Wearing a body weight vest whilst you're running, I wouldn't really recommend. Now, I would use a body weight vest at start of training camp for just increasing that amount of weight load on body weight exercises to start building up them foundations for your training camp, whether that's for uh, press-ups, TRX row, walking lunges. Of the weight being onto your body, this just increases that stress whilst performing these activities without exposing to too high a weight loads. So weight vests are a fantastic tool to use at the start of camp, also just to progress the training camp and progress exercises a little bit more. Let's say for, for weighted pull-ups, for example, uh, at the start of camp, you might only be able to do body weight pull-ups. And then as we progress, using body weight vests would be perfect to use. Also, what you can do with body weight vests is just provide that extra load without increasing external load. So doing stuff like goblet squats or uh, goblet reverse lunge or anything like that, maybe like some deadlifts, if you're looking to try and just progress an athlete up steadily, using a weighted vest can be a great way to provide a little bit more external load, increase like tension through the core without exposing uh, weight load to the upper limb. Uh, this is particularly something that we've used during a rehab block, whether when an athlete has had an upper limb injury, particularly on the hand. So we use a body weight vest to increase that weight load so there's less weight load going through the hand. So there are a few different ways that you can use body weight vests. Hopefully something's applicable to you. But yeah, we really uh, like it, whether it's for upper body pressing or pulling, lower body doing goblet uh, squats or, or lunges. And also you can add it to like some of your core exercises as well. Let's say like an ab wheel rollout or something like that. I read that training in the red zone must be worked two to three days a week, but it can be all year round. With red zone training, this is what we get asked quite a lot, and it's quite hard to factor in into a training program of red zone conditioning, probably the hardest one. So it's quite hard to factor in whether you should be doing two, three, or maybe even four times per week. Now, what we'd say at Boxing Science is to have a minimum of two to kind of maintain or just slightly increase performance, but then to really progress with your uh, athletes, if they're a professional or amateur boxer, definitely need to be doing three times per week. Uh, this is just to 
make sure that you're achieving them adaptations in a short amount of time. And that's like, obviously, with an athlete that's training for a 10-week training camp or maybe even a six or eight-week training camp, you need to maximize some physical adaptations. So yeah, definitely be doing it three times a week, two at absolute minimum. Now to say to do it all year round, yeah, we say for athletes to be doing like high intensity conditioning all year round, but just change the emphasis of the adaptation that you need. So not just constantly working towards red zone adaptations, central adaptations, working in the cardiovascular system, but also working on muscle buffering capacity and working on peripheral adaptations as well. So with our athletes, they're always constantly doing high intensity conditioning, but we just change the emphasis to make sure that we're always stimulating physical adaptations across our three different conditioning pillars. Okay, I've got a question from Tarva Smith, who's asked about conditioning training for stress fracture in the third metatarsal. So I take it that either Tara or an athlete uh, that she's working with has got this specific injury, but to make it generic for most of the listeners, I'll answer it in terms of like kind of generic lower limb injuries, uh, whether that's to the knee or to the foot or wh wherever, and you're needing to start implementing off-feet conditioning. Now, it always depends on the level of the injury and how stressful that is to point what kind of off-feet conditioning that you do. In the ideal world, you do something like an air bike or a watt bike. Let's say on the watt bike, you're just putting a little bit too much load through that foot the air bike might be a better option because you can split up the, the effort between lower body and upper body. Let's say that that might be a little bit stressful as you're pushing down on that, maybe doing some uh, circuits uh, where you're keeping your feet quite stationary, uh, doing stuff like uh, med ball slams or press-ups or like kind of explosive press-ups with the bands, uh, doing battle ropes, Anything like that where you're not putting too much like kind of impact forces and you're keeping your feet quite stationary. You can do like strength circuits to try and, and core circuits to try and keep a base level of fitness, but not really ch chasing them red zone adaptations. Now let's say if you're struggling with this, you've got maybe a rower, obviously putting a lot of force through your lower body, so it all depends on that. And then you've got the upper uh, body ski erg, but then if you're really struggling with that, and let's say you're really struggling to put force through the feet, then you've got swimming. Now, this is probably contradictory to uh, what we said in a previous podcast, where we said like probably swimming for boxing isn't that good. But anything to try and keep them fitness levels up and to burn the calories to make sure that you're keeping your weight down, that's really important. So hopefully I've given you good alternatives to feet and give you a little bit of context. But really, the, the, the main one to go for is air bike or watt bike. And if you can do something like altitude training, so we use the Power Breathe Altitude Systems at Boxing Science, and we often put the watt bike or air bike in that altitude training, uh, in, into that altitude training tent. And this increases that cardiovascular demand without having to push it to too high intensity. So if you've got something like that available to you, I think that would be quite good or just manipulating the reps and sets to create some sort of pre-fatigue to increase that level of heart rate. So then you don't have to push down on that foot or, or that injured leg as much. So like I said, hopefully that's given you some good alternatives. If you've got any specific questions about that, just uh, you know, send me an email, dannywilson at boxingscience.co.uk. So we've got a question from Liam Daly, who's a keen follower of Boxing Science and he's also on the Train Like Champion program. 
And he asks, what kind of strength training and conditioning pillars? So you know that is uh, is following the boxing science program. Uh, should I focus on when I'm not in camp for a fight? So basically, what should you be working on in the off season? Now, I answered this question the other day on, on one of our workshops and the key thing to focus on is the adaptations that potentially may take the longest and also that might be impacted by high training loads and also being in that calorie deficit as well. In terms of like strength training, I'd be more focused towards maximum strength training during the off season because it takes a lot longer to create them adaptations and also small amount of adaptations as well. If you think about the top end of your trap bar deadlift or your, bent, or your dumbbell chest press, probably you spend four or five weeks to only make a, a 2.5 or five kilo increase on your, on, on your one met max. So the longer that you spend working on maximum strength will be better and more advantageous. So when you're in the off season, definitely you've got to increase opportunity to work on your maximum strength. And also you've got to consider in a training camp, you've only got a small amount of time to work on max strength. In a 10, 12 week training camp, I'd only work on maximum strength for three to four weeks. In the off season, I've got five, six, eight weeks to work on maximum strength to create them adaptations. And also in the off season, athletes aren't in a, 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 as a significant calorie deficit than they are when they're in training camp, often due to the nutrition, being able to fuel up more, but also they've got decreased training load in terms of their boxing training and their sparring. So there's greater opportunities there to optimize the adaptations for your maximum strength training. From a conditioning perspective, you can just keep cycling between probably some red zone adaptations and also you've got your 30 second maximal sprints. I've often used 30 second maximal sprints, let's say if I've got 16 weeks out from a fight, because you've got a good opportunity there because they're so physically taxing, obviously a new muscular system, high amounts of lactate that can create some fatigue later on in the day or later on in the week. So that's a good opportunity to maximize adaptations from that. And also, like I said about the strength training, you're not gonna be as in much of a calorie deficit. So then you'll be able to really create that speed and intent into them 30 second maximum sprints. But also you've got to be mindful of that if you're going for 30 second maximal sprints and you're 20 weeks away from a train from a fight, then you, you might be a risk uh, over training. So what I would do is cycle that up, try and put that in a little bit later into the off season, but create some good foundations through red zone adaptations, similar to the maximum strength, to create red zone adaptations takes a little bit longer. You'd be looking at more like four, six, maybe eight weeks of red zone training to create some uh, long-term adaptations in comparison to the peripheral adaptations and muscle buffering capacity work. They take a lot less time for physical adaptations. So yeah, I'd probably be doing some uh, red zone, uh, some long form high intensity uh, interval training, but also working was a minimum effective dose. So for example, our gold standard session is four minutes on and two minutes off. I won't be pushing our athletes up to six repetitions on that. I'll be looking at the minimum that they can do to avoid any kind of overreaching, overtraining as we accumulate like kind of work over time. So I'll be doing like four reps of that four minutes on, two minutes off and looking at the minimum amount of reps that we can do. 
So yeah, hopefully that's helped. I've gone a little bit complex in different areas. As a summarize, maximum strength, put in some 30 second maximal sprints. We'll also work on some uh, red zone adaptations during the off season. So I've got a question from Hernadine. 93, sorry if I've pronounced that wrong. What do you think is more important in amateur boxing, fitness or skills? It's always going to be skills that's important because you can be as fit as possible, but if you can't box, then you're not going to be winning any bouts. But what I would say in amateur boxing, it, well, in, in any form of boxing, the fitter and more physically capable you are, you're unlocking your potential your boxing performance. Think about your speed, technique, timing, coordination, decision-making. These are all affected if you're more fatigued, if your hearts and lungs are working hard, if your arms are heavy, if your legs are heavy. It's not one or the other for me. It's making sure you're technically skilled boxer, but your physical fitness is also really important too. So just making sure that you're having a good balance between your S&C work, your high intensity conditioning, but most importantly, your boxing. The stoic athlete has asked, how often should the average boxer lift weights in a week? So for me, it will be twice a week in most cases, because you got to think about the priority of strength training in terms of the boxing schedule. You've got sparring, number one, you've got pad work, you've got bag work, you've got technical work, whether that's technique sparring, body sparring, shadow boxing, all these come before your physical conditioning. I'd say that high intensity conditioning is more important than strength training. So then you're looking at like, where does it sit on the priorities? And you've got all these different sessions. How many sessions do you need in boxing a week? We'd say with professional boxers, they need five sessions a week. For amateur boxers, a minimum of four. So then you've got what sessions you're going to be doing around that. You've got about two or three high intensity conditioning sessions, preferably three. So then that's eight sessions in a week for professional boxers. Then you've got an active recovery session to burn calories. So that's nine. So then you've got two more to fit in. You've got your strength training. So really, if we go, right, boxers should be lifting three, four times a week, a lot of other athletes end up doing. How will that impact the rest of the training? I'd say for two times a week to make sure that you're still optimizing adaptations but making sure that I'm not taking too much away from the rest of the training schedule. Okay, guys, so that's the end of this podcast episode. Thank you very much for watching or listening. We do appreciate all your questions that you send in. If you've got any questions that you want covering on the next episode, please leave them in the comment box below. And like I said at the start, if you press the subscribe button, if you're not a subscriber yet, so don't miss out on any future content, then if you could give us a like or review, hopefully a good one, five-star review, please, uh, to help us like kind of gauge how the channel is doing, help the growth of the channel so we can continue producing more content and hopefully we'll have some guests on the podcast pretty soon. So thank you very much for watching or listening to the Boxing Science Podcast. Hopefully see you soon on the next episode.